Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Turn in your Bibles with me. Let's go to Psalm 131 this morning. I trust you got a worship guide around there around. Uh, if you want one to put the notes from the sermon on, please pick one of those up. As always, you can download those from the homepage, our, our main page on our website as well. Um, is anyone need, in need of peace and quiet, tranquility, being up at Lake Hand Camp this week? There's, there's just plenty of opportunity to get out in nature and, and just to listen to God's creation, to look up and to see what God has made and the beauty as, as uh, declares the glory of God. I have thoroughly enjoyed our study in these psalms together. Um, the psalms of ascent, these traveling. This is a, a playlist for those who are traveling to worship in Jerusalem. These are the songs that Jesus and his family, when they made their way to Jerusalem for the feast, they would have been singing these songs. They would have been near on their hearts. As we sang that last song, did you think of the Miller family? that you pray that, like the blessing of God before you, behind you, in your coming, in your going, your weeping and rejoicing. This is life. And as we look at these Psalms of Ascent, I will tell you I've been surprised. I've been surprised through these Psalms in studying them. This Psalm, when I, when I first read through it, it like, how am I going to handle this? And it's something that when, when I want you to listen, and does your ear pick up something that's kind of like, is that right? Does that feel right? Can you say that? Is that a good thing to say? Psalm 131 is one of the shortest psalms there is. It's known as the pearl. This is a beautiful psalm. It's such a brief psalm. And currently, the time may come when this message is listened to, and you know, maybe years to come and someone's listening to this message and by then we would think that they will be out of, you know, be out of the coronavirus and all that's going on. Right now, we're still in the middle of this thing and we have no idea when will this end? What does this look like? What does it look like for us to be able to function, for kids to go to school, uh, to work? All of these things that are constantly changing. Craig Broyles says it this way, and I want you to let this sink in. He says, the image here in the psalm, it's image of tranquility we readily admire. Okay, so you're going to catch that like, oh, that's such a beautiful psalm. That's so nice. But it's advice we all too readily dismiss as impractical. This is going to be a a psalm that's going to kind of hook a surprise to us that we all too easily say, I hope somebody else learns that, but the Lord doesn't know what I'm going through. The Lord doesn't know what I'm dealing with. So that's not for me. Correction, it is for you. And it is for me. This is the psalm, a song of tranquility. David is the author, three short verses. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord, 
from this time forth and forevermore. Father, this is your word. We see in this your word, the heart of David, the psalmist. As your spirit breathed out your living word through him, Father, I pray that you will encourage every heart that is broken this morning, every heart that is discouraged. May we find hope in you, Lord, hope that never diminishes, never fades, and never goes away. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Last Sunday, we were in Psalm 130, and uh, that's a song of confession. We, we came to understand the Lord, for those who turn from their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus, the Lord is my Redeemer. He's the one who redeems. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, the Bible tells us. So then it continues on, and, and in Psalm 130, it ends, O Israel, verse 7, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. There's that word, has said, and with him is plentiful redemption. He's not running short. He's not almost out. He doesn't have to increase his credit limit. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And then we get to Psalm 131, and you hear this connection, O Israel, hope in the Lord. The concern that the psalmist has for his people. We don't know what the situation is that David penned this psalm, what he was going through. We know he faced a lot. We're going to look at some of that this morning. But here we are in this psalm of tranquility where the Lord, to all who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone, they can say with the psalmist, the Lord is my hope. I trust that you can say that this morning. Here's what we want to unpack this morning. For those who are mature in the Lord, or maturity in the Lord is displayed this way, all right? There's three ways. And to take inventory is to evaluate, is that in my life? Am I maturing in the Lord, or I need to mature in the Lord? Perhaps you need to come to faith in the Lord. The first thing we see from verse 1 is contentment of heart. Maturity in the Lord is displayed through our, like the psalmist, contentment. Contentment of heart. He says, oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. He's talking about contentment. And what we need to understand is we need to trust the Lord instead of trying harder. The gospel is not try to do more for the Lord. Try to get your life you know, cleaned up. Try to say fewer swear words. Try to get to church more. Try to give more. Try, 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 try. You cannot keep the law of God perfectly. Only Jesus did. He fulfilled the law in every way. We're in need of mercy. Contentment of heart is when we come and we agree with the psalmist and we rest in the Lord. We trust in the Lord instead of, I'm just going to have to work more. I'm going to have to try harder. I'm going to have to do more. And I hope the Lord is happy with me. Trust the Lord instead of trying harder. To do this, we have to embrace the sovereignty of God. I'll never be content in my heart. You'll never be content if we do not come to terms with God is sovereign. I asked the kids this week, I said, what does it mean that God is sovereign? And one of the kids raised their hand and said, he can do whatever he wants to do. No one tells him what to do. That's what it means. When you're sovereign, you don't ask anybody for permission. Now, if you're a king, 
You can make bad decisions. God never fails. He's sovereign. He's good. And we'll see this unpack in this psalm even this morning. When we come to the place where we take refuge in the exalted position of the Lord, when we come to say with the writers of Scripture, God is enough. Can we say that together this morning? God is enough. And I think all of us would say, yes, I, I agree with that. But when we hit trials and trials come our way, it, it shakes us. Suffering, broken relationships. Is God enough? Is God enough for you? This is a prayer here of an individual. It's a confession directed to the Lord. Psalmist says, oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised to high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. This is very personal. David is getting very personal here. And he's understanding, he's admitting, when he starts his, his prayer with Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, you reign over all things and I'm coming to you. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised to high. In simple terms, the psalmist is saying, you are God, I am not. If we get to the, the heart of sin, of broken relationships, of all of the struggles that we face internally and externally, it comes down to us wanting to be king. I want to be right. I want to have my way. I want everybody to do what I say. And when that is threatened, we get upset. We lose our contentment. Spurgeon said it this way. He said, what the heart desires, the eyes look for. Whatever you love, if you love antiquing, whenever I was riding, you know, family with the, my dad out west, and he sees some old car, you know, on blocks, no windows, you know, oh, that's a 1930s, whatever. He can pull off the road. We're going to be sitting there a bit. My dad's going to go find somebody. He's not going to buy the car. He's just going to talk about it. It's just that he loves it. Nobody has to say, rule number one, find a car, stop, talk to somebody. He just enjoys doing that. Whatever you love, your eyes look for it. If you love flowers, if you love art, if you love music, then you look for it. Athletics, looking for an opportunity. Whatever the heart desires, the eyes look for. Beloved, we have to embrace the sovereignty of God. To embrace is to pull close, is to draw in, it's to draw near. God is sovereign. Secondly, we need to be humble before the Lord. This is all under contentment of heart. If I'm content, then I have to admit and acknowledge, God, you are sovereign, I'm not. You are God, I am not. I embrace your sovereignty, and I humble myself before you, Lord. Be humble before the Lord. The Lord despises arrogance. Pride is an abomination to the Lord, and trials are useful in our lives and in the life of the church to expose our self-reliance, self-sufficiency, how much we like to talk about ourselves. Well, you know what I did, and I built this business from the ground up, and I was I came out of nothing, and I did this, and I did that. Kind of like Nebuchadnezzar. Look at my kingdom. Yeah, he learned his lesson, but the Lord did not mark out King Nebuchadnezzar to destroy him, Psalm 130. Oh, Lord, if you should mark out iniquities, who could stand? He marked him out. He put him out for seven years and brought him back. And the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar post the seven-year exile says, worship 
God, the God of heaven. Lucifer was cast out of heaven, Isaiah 14, 14. His pride came before the fall, and he said, I will make myself like the Most High. Notice he's not saying, I will reign over the Most High. He just wants a co-equal, okay? Who put you in charge? Can't we be co-equal? That's all he wanted. Just let me have some of that worship. Let me have some of the glory. Let me have some of the praise. And he was cast out of heaven. Psalm 101, verse 5. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will not put up with that person. Proverbs 16 and verse 5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, the proud person, the haughty person will not go unpunished. You may slide through this life abusing, using people, but that person will not go unpunished. And James, the half-brother of Jesus in chapter 4, verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but who does he give grace to? The humble. So it's an invitation, and it's an exhortation from me to you this morning. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves. It's personal. Now we think about King David. He's confessing publicly to the Lord. He says, I'm not guilty of arrogance and pride. And when I first read this, and I asked you when you're reading this, does it sound a little strange? Is this a little bit like, hey, everybody, I wrote a book this week while I was at camp in my spare time, and the title of the book is Humility and How I Mastered It, and it's available in the lobby for, you know, three, you know, payments of $99.99. Wait a second. As soon as you wrote the book on humility, are you sure you have humility? Okay, when I read this, oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great, too marvelous for me. What's the tone of his voice? It's very different, I believe, than when Jesus talked about the Pharisee who prayed off by himself to himself to anybody who would listen in Luke 11 or Luke 18, verse 11. The Pharisee standing by himself, Jesus said, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, I'm marking you out, adulterers, or even like I've really got you marked out for destruction, you tax collector. Thank God I'm not like them. And when I read Psalm 131, I'm hearing it the first time and just the first pass over thinking, is this how David is saying, oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things that are too great and too marvelous for me. Is that the tone of the psalmist? Well, let's look at his life. Let's think about his life. And that brings us to this. If we're going to Exhibit maturity and contentment. Take care of all that the Lord has entrusted to you now, right now. Contentment is not just sitting here waiting for the future, and when the Lord does all these things and jumps through all my hoops, then I will just sell out for him and surrender. But until he does all these things, I'm king me, and he can wait his turn. Embrace the sovereignty of God. Be humble before the Lord. 
Take care of all that the Lord has entrusted to you right now. This is stewardship. Be faithful, loved ones, in the realm that the Lord has already put into your care. David, what was his career growing up? The shepherd boy. What a stinky job, right? How's his family? Here you go. Watch the sheep. But did he treat it that way? Taking care of these sheep. These sheep stink. These sheep are dumb. These sheep, I always got to feed them. I always got to keep them out of trouble. Is that, how, is that how he approached being a shepherd? The one who would one day write Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It's no diss when the Lord is your shepherd. And what does he say when he later gets called into the presence of King Saul and he wants to take on Goliath and the power and strength of the Lord? And he said, I can't wear your armor. Let me tell you what God has done for me. I was watching my father's sheep and out came a lion. I smacked down on the lion. I said, give me the sheep back. You can't have it. My dad's go away. I dealt with him. Then came a bear. And I took him down. Wiped him out. The same God that delivered the lion and the bear into my hands, and I was faithful in stewardship of small things, he will give that big nasty giant into my hand this day. It's not about we all got to slay our giants and be like David. It's do you know David's God? Are you worshiping and serving David's God? Because if you know him, you will be faithful in the little things. Remember the parable of the talents. Five talents, two talents, one talent. Five, the master comes back, here's ten. It's yours. Wow, well done, now good and faithful servant. Two, here's four, doubled it. I took what you gave me and I, I invested, I used it to, here, Man, one, I buried it. You gave him five. You gave him two. You didn't give me that, so I buried it. You want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have to know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. And the Holy Spirit will be then, from that point on, maturing you in your life, and you will hear those words one day. You will hear those words one day from the Lord Jesus now, when David was a teenager, there was the war going on. It's when Goliath was out there shouting down the Israelites, and they're all up in their tents, shaking. Is there not a man? Send me a man. Here comes David. He's like, here's the stuff from my dad, gives it to the baggage keeper. And then his brother hears him talking about, hey, Who's going to deal with the big ugly guy out there? The big guy, the yelling guy, the blaspheming guy. Why are you all in your tents? Is anybody going to do anything about that guy? Pride in his older brother's heart, and he speaks up to his kid brother, his punk brother. Who wants to be instructed by your little brother, right? Anybody got a brother? I don't have any brothers. I have sisters. I don't think they ever want to be instructed by me, the little brother. 1 Samuel 17, 28, Now Eliab, his eldest brother, David's older brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left, here comes some shade, those few sheep in the wilderness? 
He's despising him. Like, you got little responsibility. We're soldiers down here. And then what does he do? He steps into the seat of God. He steps onto the throne of God. And he says, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Um, Question, who knows the heart of other people? God. Not you, not me. And whenever we begin to ascribe motives to people, I know why they said this. I know what they're doing. I know why they're doing it. You are saying, God, excuse me, can you just scoot over a little bit? You're not doing a good enough job. I need to help you out. And I've marked them out for destruction. But the Lord is merciful. But Eliab here was going jugular. He was ready for all of his buddies. Yeah, shut up, David. Yeah, David. We're soldiers down here. But the word went to King Saul and Saul says, bring him here. And that day the Lord gave the victory. David wasn't out in the pasture saying, how can I plot to be king? I want to be king. I want to be king one day. Here's my plot. He was just doing what his father asked him to do. Here's some food and some stuff. And what's up with that guy? That guy needs to be dealt with. And I'm faithful with the sheep and the lion and the bear. No match for God. Uh, That guy? Smells worse than the lion and bear, but the Lord can handle him as well. So I'm going to keep some distance on that guy. Whipped a stone at him. He resisted opportunities later on to assassinate the king after he'd been anointed. Take the throne prematurely. You remember? They're in the cave. They're Saul. The Lord has given him into your hand. You can be king now. No, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. The Lord hasn't given me this position yet. It's not time yet, so I'm not going to attack the one who's in the leadership position. Hey, here's another opportunity. Remember, he cuts off his garment. And then he feels guilty for even cutting the hem of Saul's garment. He waits. Even in his own family, Absalom would one day take the kingdom. When he is finally placed in the kingdom, he had to wait uh, years to be inaugurated as full king over Israel. And then he says, hey, Is there anybody I can show kindness to of Saul's house and Jonathan's house? Mephibosheth, but really, you want to show kindness because generally, do you know what kings did when they assumed a throne? If there was another king and his descendants and anybody family living, you know what they did? They killed them all. No threats to my kingdom. I'm the king now. And David says, but that's not my heart. My heart is not lifted up. Who can I show kindness to? And he showed kindness to Mephibosheth. He was disabled in his feet. Really? You want to see me? Yeah. I want to show you hesed. Loving kindness. Beloved, we have to learn. We must learn from this. Don't become so preoccupied with lesser things, with future things, with things that are outside of and beyond our control. But what might happen? This might happen. That might happen that we lose the effectiveness in what God has placed into our hand right now. What has God placed into each of our hands right now? Some of, you, some of us has, have children and grandchildren. Some of us have ministry responsibilities, whether great or small. You may think great or small. Whatever you are doing for the Lord, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do like David took care of sheep. 
And don't waste those opportunities that it seem like it's the insignificant, small time, not really the front of house, not really the big deal. It is a huge investment, whatever it is that you do. Your job, where you live. Some people can become so paralyzed in their spiritual lives because they have an insatiable desire. First, I have to have all my questions answered. I gotta know everything about God and then maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give him full control. So let me get this straight. You want to have God fit in your mind and then you'll surrender to him, to the God that fits in your mind. That's a small God. That's an idol. God does not fit in our little box. He doesn't intend to. 1 Corinthians 12, 10, Paul spoke of being content. He said, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am, what? Strong. Why? Because we're depending on the Lord instead of self. Oh, we can just make this happen. But for the sake of Christ. Does that verse strike you? Straight at the core of your being? Do any of us just, yes, I love that verse. That's a great verse. That's a very difficult verse when life gets difficult. Philippians 4.11, Paul says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Content in heart. I'm content. This is where the Lord has me. The Lord is faithful. We're never, we're never going to fully comprehend and fathom God in all of his ways. And as people of God, we can be okay with that. We can trust him. Isaiah 55, God's ways are higher than our ways. Thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Write this verse down on the side. This is a great verse. 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed, okay, here you go. The whole word of God, 66 books revealed, belong to us and to our children forever. Why? That we may do all the words of this law. See, what I'm saying, some people get so preoccupied with the secret things. I want to know about the, the, what's the future and what's the end times and the end times and the thing and what's this country and that. And I got to have all my questions answered, but the Lord has given us, do I really obey all that I know? No. So let those things that are beyond our understanding. We're up at, okay, so sixth grade program at Lake Ann, they go to the bog. Smelly, you know, just, it's a bog. And it stinks. They bring extra clothes that mostly they throw away. They go jump in it and they use it as an illustration. There's a fish in the bog and the fish, the only fish that'll live there, eats the mosquito larva, all the eggs. There's no mosquitoes in the bog. So I asked the program director, I said, um, tell me something. Where did that fish come from to get in here? He's like, I don't know. Hmm, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things. The Lord has, how will we make it through the, the coronavirus or anything else? Any sickness, illness? All of the questions that physicians and scientists have that they cannot answer. And the Lord is like, that's because you're not God. So will you stop? trying harder, and trust me, trust me. He spoke the galaxies into existence. Is he really asking too much for us to trust him?
We can trust the Lord in every season and in every situation. So listen to me, loved ones. Um, I've been saying it for months now. I will keep saying it and I will clarify more so and more so as needed. List, are you got your listening ears on, okay? Don't let your preoccupation with lesser things. Politics, economics, masks, diminish and silence and mute your voice in the sake of the gospel. Even freedom and liberty as Americans in the U.S. of A. are lesser things to the glory of God. And when we take our eyes off, be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and we say, be exalted, my freedoms and my liberties, our voice is silenced, our voice is diminished, our voice is muted, and we sound like everyone else clamoring for the here and now. But what if God is sovereign? You say, wait a second, Pastor, what do you mean, what if? I thought you already taught us from this psalm that God is sovereign. He is sovereign. Does that show up in our posts and our conversation and our demeanor toward those we disagree with? How will we minister the gospel of grace to somebody that we disagree with? And have we met anybody that we disagree with? Do you agree with yourself all the time? I don't. And God is patient. Number two, composure of soul. Composure of soul, we need to trust the Lord in trials. The psalmist says, it's personal. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Trust the Lord in trials. This is where we have a composure of soul. There's a contentment of heart and there's a composure deep down in our soul. Trials are coming, storms are coming, and we're not blown away, and we're not blown off the foundations. We're settled, we're, we're rooted and anchored in Christ. But this is personal. The psalmist says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Still yourself. Ever say that as a parent to your children? Be quiet. Get a hold of yourself. Control yourself. Calm down. It's going to be okay. No, it's not. Yes, it will. This is personal for the psalmist. This is what C.H. Spurgeon says. He says, to the weaned child, his mother is his comfort, though she has denied him comfort. See, when I first read through the psalm, I'm like, weaned child. I'm going to preach about the process of weaning. Well, this is going to be glorious. I need to understand what he's saying. Okay? A child that is not weaned, what do they do when they're hungry? Every now and then we hear them from the nursery. There, right there, okay? Okay, now maybe that child is weaned or not. I don't know. But they cry, okay? You don't sit down and have with a six-month-old, let's have a conversation now. I'm your dad, and I need, you need to know I'm in charge of this house. I drive everywhere you go. I pay for everything, and you need to stop crying. And if you could just send me an email, I'll get back to you, and I'll let you know when it's time to eat. Dear mother, can I please? No, it's not how it works. The baby says, ah, right? 
And it's time to eat. And when it's time to eat, they go to town. They eat. The Lord's provided through their mom. They nurse. And then they're full. And they just sit there and they're just basking in their glory. But a weaned child has been denied by the mother. No, you're too old. There's a table of food over there and you need to go eat over there. And the psalmist is talking about, he's using this, it's a process, okay? It's a process. It's personal for the psalmist, but it's a process. This maturity is a process. When the child is born, it's not like, hey, there's, you know, two days of breastfeeding and now you're done. Here's a cheeseburger, you know? It doesn't work that way. It's going to take some time. All the nutrition, everything that's coming from the mother, mother's body to the child, everything the Lord has designed that that child needs, and it's good to the child, and the child is nursing with the mom and close to the mom and warm with the mom and bonding with the mom, and all that's happening in there is important for that time, but who here wants to go back to that process instead of going to wherever you go for lunch this afternoon? Uh, no thanks. I'm good. Not going to go back. But did you sit down and have that conversation with the two-year-old, three-year-old? Or did you simply have to say, no, not anymore? And moms, it probably broke your heart. I was always the bad guy when it came to the pacifier. There was no sustenance in the pacifier. I was like, hey, I'm tired of losing this thing. Get me up in the middle of the night. So we're old enough, pacifier out. Hopefully we don't have to have braces, you know? No, not yet, Ginger would say. But there comes a point when a mom says to a child, you got to go to the big table. you got to start eating food. It probably pains the heart of a mother to do that. And now we see the closeness, what the psalmist is saying about the Lord, that he's denying, depriving us for a time to move us from milk to meat. The mother denies what the child, what he or she wants in order that the child might transition and mature to eat solid foods so they'll be able to grow healthy and strong so the weaned toddler no longer tr throws fits. They wait. They're patiently content in the arms of their mother. They're trusting her, although they didn't understand why at first she said no to them and denied them. I think... Probably mothers in the room, you best understand this illustration better than us as men and better than us as children. What's the application here? That the follower of Christ who matures has come to answer, has come to realize that God sometimes answers our prayers with no. But Lord, I want this, that, this relationship, this job, this, I'm praying for that. And he says, no, no, you can't have that. I thought you loved me. Where are you at? Oh, am I the only one that's ever prayed this? I don't think so. And this is where we understand that no matter what God does in our lives, it's always for our good and for his glory. And Romans 8, 28 works out, especially when God says, no, I'm gonna take that from you or deprive it of you. And the psalmist is saying, you know what I've done? I have found my composure in my soul, and I am good to be with you, even when you say no. Spurgeon says it this way, as a sign of maturity, a believer who's maturing, not an infant squabbling over 
I need the Lord to do this, and I need the Lord to do that, and the Lord needs to give me this sign and do the other. If the Lord removes, Spurgeon says, our dearest delight, we bow to his will without a murmuring thought. Ouch. In fact, we find a delight in giving up our delight. What are you talking about? What if it is our freedoms as, as Americans? And the Lord is saying, I'm pulling that back. No, you can't. I'll yell louder. I'll post more. I'll go more off the deep end. But who are you going up against? God is sovereign. He's sovereign over all things. And we need to trust him. Oh, that we would find contentment of heart as we mature. Oh, that we would find composure of soul. And lastly, compassion comes out from our lips. Compassion comes out from our lips that when we have found God to be enough, then we tell others of the goodness of God. And that's what's glorious. When I traveled to India, when I traveled to Africa, I did not spend endless amounts of time speaking of the glory of the U.S. of A., because that won't save anyone from their sin. And that would offend them because that's where they live in their hometown. I was able to share that we are equal and we are all in need of a Savior and God has sent his Son to be Savior of us all who will trust in him. This is the hope. It's the gospel. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore, the, the heart of a preacher is, don't say tomorrow I'll get around to responding to this message. Maybe next week, maybe next year, maybe when I go through these things in my life, he's saying from this time forth, right now, and forevermore, this invitation is given, join me in putting your hope and trust in the Lord. It's a priority, loved ones. Our concern for others is an evidence of spiritual maturity. You tell me when the last time was when all the, the toddlers got together, when you heard them say, oh, I'm sorry, did you get something to eat? No, you go in front of me. Did you get, oh, th that's the last piece of cake? You go ahead in front of me. And ice cream, we're all out. Anybody else want that last piece of, no. That's not a toddler. That's somebody who's mature that grows up and doesn't run to the front of the line and eat all the best of the food and get the best seat and do all this. They say, wait a second, I'm not immature because God has been so good to me and I'm growing. What's best for you? What would you like? How can I serve you? How can I help you? What can I do to be a blessing to you? That's not an immature infant. That's someone who has grown in grace. And it leads us to tell others, come to Jesus. I want you to know wherever you are, whatever you have gone through, whatever situation you are facing, that you are loved. I know this will go up online later, and I want people to hear because another week and another tragedy that is connected to this congregation, so devastating that someone needed to hear with a broken heart, you are loved. And it's not just loose change at an end of a service or a, a cheesy slogan. It's the reality that in Christ, God has loved you with the greatest gift, his son. 
No matter what your age is, no matter what you're facing, whether you be job loss or relationship loss or crisis, whatever you may be dealing with, I want you to understand there is hope for you. There is a redeemer for you. And the invitation is trust him. Trust, put all of your faith and trust in him. He knows what is best for you. This is our fourth distinctive courageous evangelism that if we're maturing in Christ, we are sharing the gospel and it's not because we have to. How are we thinking about the ones that we know and we love? Do they know Christ? Hebrews 6, 19 says this. It says, we have, a sure, uh, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. It's Jesus. Do you have an anchor for your soul? That kind of hope. And if you honestly say this morning, I don't, pastor. It's Jesus, and he's available to you. Plenteous in redemption, Psalm 130 said. Plentiful, more than enough. Very, very much for you. It's enough for you. And Peter would write in 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, people of grace, in your hearts, Honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Listen now. Yet do it, do so with gentleness and respect. It's an expectation that the people of grace, that we, Lord help us, talk to people, post online with, say it with me, gentleness and respect. One more time gentleness, and respect. And if we aren't, we're disobeying the Lord. You're not disobeying me. So I'm not going to take it personal with you. I'm just the messenger. I just deliver the mail. You open it, you read it, and let the Spirit of God apply it to your heart, okay? What's our next step? Maturity in the Lord displayed through our contentment of heart, composure of soul, compassion from our lips. Do you see growth in your life. I think if we're fair, if we're honest, we would all say, but I see I need growth in my life. For the person who says, nope, I'm arrived, I'm good. (laughs) Hold on. Let's talk, okay? Has there come a point in time in your life when you turned from your sin, you trusted in Jesus, and then you're growing in Christ? Here's some questions to think about, pray about, and reflect, okay? Okay talk with your family, your loved ones, somebody that you're close to. First question is this, what easily occupies my heart and steals my contentment? What gets your goat, okay? What gets you riled up? What gets you fired up? What gets you just worked up, frazzled, okay? How should I fight this temptation? How do I fight this temptation? It's a temptation to sin. Take your eyes off the Lord, start looking at all the circumstances, Forget the gospel and just go to war with words, okay? Secondly is how should I respond to the Lord when he withholds something I want? How do I respond? How should I respond? When the Lord tells me no, how should I respond? And lastly, how can my voice, can I broaden this a little bit to us as a church? How can our voice how can our voices be more effective in bringing hope to others? That's the end game, right? 
is that people see your good works, Matthew 5, 16, and glorify your Father in heaven. How can our voice be turned up in gentleness and respect, love, grace, mercy, the gospel? You were born for such a time as this, and so was I. Nothing that's going on in the news and current events has taken God by surprise. It takes us by the surprise all the time. It's so hard for us to plan anything. But God is sovereign, and we can trust him. Amen? Let's pray together. And then you're going to see a great video Ethan put together uh, for the Miller family. Thank you to all who shared and uh, sent that in. And then we're going to pray over them. We're going to just entrust them to the Lord. Father in heaven, Oh, how we need to trust you more. You are the almighty Lord. You reign and you resist the proud, Lord. But you give grace and strength to the humble. God, I'm asking you to see to it that we do not lift up ourselves in any proud opinion or conceit in anything. But Lord, grant to us that we may confess humbly before your divine majesty without excusing ourselves, without justifying anything that displeases you, Lord. And enable us by your Holy Spirit to walk in the newness of life that you have purchased for us with the precious blood of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved. <laughs>